0: This is Dr. Kara Shepherd, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc, uh, I'm going to start talking about coughing goats, or like respiratory goats, so uh, that's, well, I've got notes, I think, about everything I want to talk about for respiratory disease in goats, and I'll see if it's one or two episodes, going to find out on the road, as you can probably tell at the moment, and my day was kind of thrown into upheaval, uh, this morning, had some, like, routine calls, and had to, like, cancel everything and reschedule because of an emergency, far away, went to that, was not rewarding, so, meh, uh, and it's gonna make my next on-the-road day very long because of the rescheduled things. Oh, well, such is life, um, sorry for the bit of a lapse in podcasting the holidays are kind of crazy uh, we've been really busy as usual at the farm um, and over the holidays I was like helping out with holiday shifts at the ER so that was a little bit hectic and this month of January I'm like working my normal hours so that's good because then apparently also people want me to come on farm calls this month so trying to fit everything in that needs to be fit in thank you for listening to the podcast i appreciate the shout outs and reviews on apple podcasts if you want to support the podcast you can Uh, it's helpful to rate and review on apple podcasts or whatever other podcast player application is your favorite because that tells the computer artificial intelligence algorithm that hey people are listening to this and we should be like oh you might like this to somebody else Um, I also enjoy reading reviews on Apple podcasts so that's that's fun even though I'm kind of shy to read them on on here like out loud I know some people do that Uh, If you want to come say hi on the internet, you can find me at goatdoc.com. You can email me at goatdockara at gmail.com. Or find me on Instagram at goat underscore doc, where I am trying to post more stuff. But it's hard. It's like things happen so fast. I just like don't like to take the time to stop and (laughs) document it because they're like gotta get this thing done and get on to the next thing but anyway um I think that kind of wraps that stuff up if you are really loving the podcast and you want to come hang out on Patreon with the bunch of really awesome people who like to uh, think that the podcast is worth a little bit of financial support on a monthly basis and working on like you know there's some there's some patron gifts over there and there's some like uh working on like more like directed content from from like directed by my patreon patrons and like kind of exclusive content and i'm trying to figure out what's the best way to do that for everybody so that is hashtag 2021 goals um Devin and I will probably sit down and do Tales from the Farm at some point here in the not too distant future. We've got some exciting stuff in the works for this spring and I think that is it for the podcast housekeeping stuff. I think you all know I try to keep it brief at the beginning, but we'll get into Coughing Goats, and this podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary vet, and I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR, veterinary and client-patient relationship, with your local vet. Uh, I think I've mentioned on the podcast in the past that, like, Coughing Goats is, like, ugh just makes me go, ugh. Coughing anything almost makes me go, ugh. I think a little bit less now um, that I have worked in emergency pretty exclusively for almost a year as far as, like, my small animal stuff that I do. That's a whole nother story that I have recorded and may listen to and re-record and share at some point this spring. Uh, how I ended up doing that, uh, but, uh, coughing things, whenever I was in day practice and there was something on the schedule for coughing, I was always like, ugh. now, and now like in the ER coughing comes in less regularly than like respiratory distress. Um, but being in the ER and seeing so many more things, I look at a lot more chest x-rays. So, Coughing makes me go, a little bit less than it used to. Having said that, I don't have the luxury of looking at goat chest x-rays very often. Uh, so it's a lot of uh, history and clinical signs and uh, kind of knowing what the, the, what's more likely for certain animals in terms of diagnosing a cough or a respiratory problem. So, kind of going to go through coughing by, like, cause, by etiology, like, what is the reason for a cough, or what is the reason for a respiratory problem, and uh, go through it that way. And the kind of the categories are infectious causes, so viral, bacterial, and parasitic, um, and then, like... Cardiogenic, So having to do with the heart. Uh, inflammatory or allergic, which is not super common in goats, but, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit. And then kind of weird, um, like animal-specific less maybe less common uh and like less things you can do about them so anatomical reasons like functional anatomical reasons and neoplastic things so cancer or masses basically uh so that's where we're going with this uh the infectious causes is like kind of by far in away the most like the most notes i have on this and uh probably, if I split this up, we'll get, we'll do infectious and then we'll do the other reasons in the next episode. So, uh, coughing goats. Some, and then like sometimes things just cough. Like sometimes coughing just isn't a big deal. And I am not a person who's like going to start throwing steroids or NSAIDs or, uh, antibiotics at something without a really good reason. And having said that, like, the a good reason to me is something that is feeling crappy. I don't get excited when goats are, like, acting fine, eating and drinking, have a normal rectal temperature, and cough once in a while. I just don't. Like, everybody coughs once in a while. It's not a huge deal some people cough more than others uh some people like maybe have a little bit of allergies but it's not enough to like be on medication for or you know you shook out a carpet and it was dusty or it's hay fever season or whatever you know there's lots of reasons to coughing and coughing is just like a uh expiratory you know push of air that is in response to something irritating the airway. And that is like various causes. So in any case, infectious causes. So then like, what, what do we worry about for coughing? Like, well, is it something, is there some organism that is causing that irritation to the airway, that inflammation to the airway? Um, to st- cause that stimulation of coughing. It's like there's a tickle, something's bugging, and we're going to cough. So we're going to start with like the smallest organisms first, and we'll go to bigger ones. And So we'll start with viruses. Um, and uh got a couple kind of key ones here to talk about. Um, first is CAE. So Caprine arthritis encephalitis. And I still haven't done an episode or series of episodes about CAE. I will get to it at some point. But uh, CAE is part of like a complex of what we now really call small ruminant lentivirus. Because it seems as though sheep and goats can kind of pass these, this small ruminant lentivirus back and forth to each other, and uh, sheep disease, sheep virus can cause disease in goats, and goat virus can cause disease in sheep. So it's really not different enough to like be species specific. So we really should call it one thing. Uh, caprine arthritis and encephalitis it, you know not i think less commonly than in sheep um presents as a respiratory problem but it can and if you take x-rays of these goats they look like they have like lung consolidation so lungs on x-ray should be black basically black very dark gray because air on x-ray is black um and when you have like lung consolidation that means that there's scar tissue there's fluid there's something in the lungs that is not air that shouldn't be there Um, and then you would see that on CAE lungs because of just like for, for CAE it's more of like a kind of chronic inflammatory fibrin scar tissue type thing rather than like a like an interstitial pneumonia type thing where there's fluid. I think I think of it more as kind of like a, a scarring down uh like really effacing the uh like structure of the lungs over time rather than uh like the lungs are full of pus and fluid because of like an acute uh fulminant pneumonia. But having said that, uh a CAE is more likely to present in other ways. Uh, the, the sheep flavor of small ruminant lentivirus is possibly more likely to present as a pneumonia. Um, the, the sheep flavor, um, is called, you know, like more commonly referred to as, uh, ovine progressive pneumonia, OPP. Um, so, OPP, CAE, small ruminant, lentivirus, all kind of the same, basically the same thing at this point, to the best of our understanding. So, sheep may be more inclined to show up with res- respiratory stuff than goats, um, who more commonly are going to show up with arthritis and like mammary glands, f- hard, non productive mammary glands uh yeah and which is just like a weird thing about the virus like why does it do this in some animals and not in other animals I don't think we really know but uh so CAE I mean at least it's an easy thing to test for and rule out if you have animals that you are worried about their respiratory stuff. Uh, next virus, uh, kind of fun to talk about because it's uh, respiratory syncytial virus. And it's kind of like the, I think that the, the kind of overarching opinion in the veterinary world has changed on this in the last few years. I should ask, uh, like, my a friend of mine who's in her fourth year at Tufts about whether they talked about this for respiratory goat stuff in their classes because um, it's a more re- like we're kind of understanding this virus better I think in terms of the, how it affects sheep or goats in particular. Uh, so respiratory syncytial virus uh, it's a virus, I can't remember what type of virus it is, but this is like uh, typically, more typically found in of animals that like are exposed to other animals so they go to shows they go to fairs or they're in a herd with not great like quarantining protocols so um they you know animals come in and they just join the herd they're not quarantined strictly uh and like maybe a lot of animals go in and out of the herd something like that just where there's like potential for exposure to other animals and other animals may be not necessarily only goats. Um, there's uh there's a herd of goats I want to say in like the Colorado like Midwest area um, that had titers to BRSV which is bovine respiratory syncytial virus and also had clinical illness like at that time. So what does this look like? Typically this is like a High fever, so like 105 to 107. Um, discharge, nasal discharge. Like t- in my experience, tends to be more like of a watery nasal discharge, cough, um, and sometimes these animals, in my experience, um, can surprise you. So like group of animals come into a place and then they all like break out with like a couple of them look crappy so they start to break out with fevers and being off feed and looking crappy and then like this one particular herd was a big herd and they had this group of I want to say like 40-ish 30 to 40 animals come in and then they just went through that whole new group and they're like oh my god look like half or more of these it it was definitely more than half more than half of these animals have impressive fevers like 105 plus um and they didn't even look like it they're still eating they're still bright and alert so you like double check your rectal temperature and you're like oh crap well that's true um so that to me is like the distinguishing characteristic of of being suspicious for rsv and also um Seems to like move pretty quickly through a naive population of animals so a naive population is a population that hasn't seen that particular thing uh, and it's a virus so you just kind of got to get through it Um, they can have relapses of this disease so kind of have the high fever and you treat it and it seems like they're doing better and then a couple weeks later it happens again Uh, whenever you know kind of talked about like the potential exposures for these this is like when my clients go to shows and then they come home and a week to two weeks later they're like all my animals have a fever and I'm like yep this is why so um and tends to kind of rip through the group of animals if they haven't seen it some anecdotal evidence about vaccinating for RSV, but there's definitely nothing labeled for it and may or may not work. So that's that one. Um, uh, Blue tongue virus, BTV, uh, is something that I don't deal with very much uh, in my geographic region uh but it is in the united states because it is a vector-borne virus that is transmitted by a culicoides midge um So wherever this little biting insect is, uh, it potentially can pick up the virus and spread it around. So it's not... This is kind of an interesting one, too, because it's not so much uh, a respiratory pathogen that, you know, like you've got a coughing goat and if it has BTV, then... It's, you're worried about, you're not really worried about it coughing on another goat because there's actually a very low viral load in secretions. So like nasal secretions, oral secretions, anything that, you know, potentially could be coughed out because the organism, uh, replicates in red blood cells. So that's where it hangs out. It doesn't hang out in mucous membranes. It hangs out in red blood cells, uh, and there are 27 serotypes of btv and not all of them cause clinical disease uh one of the more like interesting things about btv and like i said i've never seen it because it's uh, this insect is not super like inclined to be up in new england at this point um but um Animals that get sick from this can have, you know, like respiratory disease, nasal discharge, respiratory difficulty, coughing, um, but also can develop like oral and mucosal lesions, like all the way through their GI. So, not only like in their mouth that you can see, but if you post mortem these guys, they can have like ulcerations down their esophagus and down their um, GI, which is kind of more interesting and also. Um, Any disease that causes like oral lesions like that, so little like ulcerations in the oral cavity, um, pretty much all of those diseases are reportable. United States in in most states if I recall correctly because you worry about zoonotic diseases and I can't even remember honestly which like there's there's a good handful of diseases that cause oral lesions and anytime you have those like the most important thing for me to remember is that I need to call the state vet so that's like feet on the ground if I have something that has oral lesions, um, ulcerations, uh, vesicles, that's the word, vesicular diseases. There we go. Took me a while to get there. So those are just like little blisters, kind of, uh, any, any disease, any animal that has those, I'm calling the state vet because lots of them are reportable. And I, uh, don't want to be the person that didn't call the state vet for something that was reportable. Uh, I don't believe there are vaccines for this. I'm quite sure there are not, if I recall correctly, at least for goats. Uh, but the like the primary thing about it is to control the vector so really like fly control um, this particular midge like uh, reproduces in standing water so making sure you don't have standing water um, and just trying to keep the the vector population down so that's that Um, and then there's kind of a handful of other viral diseases that may cause like mild clinical signs in small ruminants in goats, but we don't really like have them well characterized or, um, like it doesn't, those diseases in particular in and of themselves, like it's like if you get a cold, like you just have to tough it out and, um, you know get over it and hopefully you do i mean most viruses you just do have to tough it out and get over it and supportive care and wait for your body to mount an immune response to take care of it um, but this group of viruses uh pi3 parainfluenza 3 caprine adenovirus caprine herpes virus ibr infectious bovine rhinotracheitis um They may cause some respiratory symptoms in goats, so increased nasal discharge, uh, coughing, whatever those kinds of signs. Um, But they, to the best of our knowledge, are not like not enough on their own to cause like illness, like illness that is bad to the point of needing treatment. It's like like your goat kids with or like your human kids with the cold and it's like, yeah tough it out, sorry. Um but that brings to a good point to talk about uh kind of the interplay of primary pathogens and secondary ones Uh, and even if you have these guys that are like kind of wimpy viruses, it's possible that they can you know, knock an animal's immune system and defenses down just like enough to um, make them susceptible to something else that can then come in and wreak havoc so um So those are, like, secondary invaders, um, which are, like, opportunistic bugs, and, uh, lots of times I, sorry, I turned Siri on to direct me, and he's kinda loud, um, so, the, the, when I am treating something I want to be treating the primary problem I don't want to be treating a symptom I want to be treating the primary problem if the primary problem is treatable so like if the primary problem is a viral disease I'm, and that's all that's going on and there's some way that I can know that I'm not going to give antibiotics for it Now, having said that, why would I not give antibiotics for a viral disease? Because a virus is not bacteria. Antibiotics are going to do exactly nothing to slow down viral disease. However, what can happen with a primary viral problem is that... The, the body has to deal with the virus so the virus is like in there causing problems the immune systems like crap I got to deal with this virus and it's doing that and the virus is like just doing stuff it's destroying cells most viruses like hijack cellular uh, mechanisms to replicate themselves. So they hijack like the the ribosomes which read the RNA from the viruses or the DNA from the viruses and the instead of those ribosomes in the cell making the right stuff, they're the the viruses are like, haha, you're gonna make my stuff instead And they're hijacked and they're so they're making more viruses. And So and then eventually like some viruses do that until the cell is just like full of viruses and then it's like boom and it explodes out all the viruses and then exploding out that cell is what can cause clinical disease. So because of cell destruction, cell death, like cell death is bad. We can't have a whole bunch of cells dying all at once. So the body's busy dealing with that. Once it's like, oh, here's a virus and this is what's going on. I need to deal with it. And all of those, all that cell death too is bad because then those cells are not there to protect the body with the normal mechanisms that protect the body. So respiratory system is an area where there's like possibility of stuff on the outside getting to the inside and the body has like a bunch of defenses that uh, try to prevent that from happening. So if we start on the outside, and I'm kind of winging it here, I didn't really, i might so I might forget something and go back, but if you start on the outside, like, if you think about when you inhale, like, there's all kinds of crap all around in the air all the time. There's bacteria, there's little particles, if it's dusty, there's dust. If somebody just sneezed in the air, there's all their, like, suspended respiratory droplets, which we've all heard so much about over the last almost year, thanks COVID, um, when you inhale anything that is in that air is potentially like has a potential opening to get down in your lungs and the body wants that to not happen you need to protect your body needs to protect itself from the stuff that's floating around in the air so how does it do that when so starting up in the nose um first of all there's like a mucosal surface so there's a wet surface covered with mucus and um there's, like, specialized immune cells up there that, uh, like, are on the lookout all the time. Also, like, mucus is sticky and it traps stuff. So it traps dust, it traps par- traps particles um, and prevents that stuff from moving down. Like, the mucus is, like, a physical barrier over the cells that are in that, like, upper nasal mucosal surface. Um, there's also up there are, like... Uh, hairs so nose hairs are a good way to like filter out uh large particles and prevent them from getting down in your lower respiratory tract um, if you ever like clean the barn or like swept the barn and then blow your nose like you can see all of the particles that your upper nasal mucus and uh, nose hairs prevented from being inhaled down into your lungs so good job nose hairs um, so all of that is very like big particles get filtered out up there So then further into the nose, nasal passages, um, you have, and I don't know so much about humans, but ruminants and horses and actually like all the, all the species that I deal with have, uh, nasal turbinates. Humans probably have these too, but like, uh, like horses and goats and cows and stuff have like a longer nose than we do. It's a longer distance between, um the nose and the pharynx from for horses than uh, it is for humans or for goats and it is for humans nostrils to eyeballs is a longer diff- distance so there's these things called nasal turbinates which are like these like swirls of tissue overlying like really thin bone and that just increases surface area and that provides like more Opportunity for stuff to get stuck to the mucosal surface and then it's not getting inhaled down into the... Um, down into the deeper lung tissue. So that's protecting that way. Um, and then... you have, like, the larynx, pharynx, laryngeal, pharyngeal area. Um, and that is, like... I think that's an interesting. Like, that's a very like complicated anatomical area. So it's where like you have two pipes that go down into your thorax, and then one goes into your thorax, and one goes through your thorax into your abdomen, and that is your. Uh, So that is your trachea and your esophagus. And how do they do that through like one hole? Like you can breathe through your mouth and you can swallow through your mouth. Thank you, larynx. Um, And that you know, so that the larynx protects you too from like accidentally inhaling water and stuff like that. So that's a very, uh, like macro protection system too, but you've got these like reflexes and nerves and muscles and this whole like complicated cartilage thing that I had to learn about in vet school and learn all the different things. And now I don't remember what most of them are, um, that like closes down. If you inhale something, um and the the body like senses it it's like and closes it down to prevent you from inhaling um so that is that area and then it also closes the other way so you can swallow stuff when you need to get it into your stomach it's very like pretty freaking amazing actually um so that's all the stuff that's like up in the head and the throat area like the upper you know, mouth head area as far as protection and whatnot, um, and then you get to the trachea. So we're not going to talk about the esophagus now. We're going to talk about the trachea. So the trachea is your windpipe, and goats have a pretty really surprisingly small trachea, um, which is funny because like they're pretty big, but they've got this little itty bitty trachea, uh, and the trachea just provides a a way for air to get down into the lungs. Um, the trachea, the, the cells that line the trachea have little cilia on the apical surface. So apical surface is the top. It's the surface that is exposed to the um, the world. And it is uh, cilia are little hairs, like these little finger hairs. So the picture little hairs and they move in, in, in unison and they create this thing called the mucociliary escalator, which I remember from first year anatomy, pathology, histopath, whatever it was, because it's cool. Um, so those, those little mucociliary, uh, cells, ciliary cilia, ciliary cilia the cilia on the apical surface of the cells um they all kind of beat in rhythm and they beat upwards so they can um they have like a direction to them where they're like pushing stuff outwards so they're pushing if you inhale something and it gets past all those protective things at the top then it is next going to get to that mucociliary escalator. And it's not so much that like, um, like that is like, Ooh, here's something we need to take care of it. It's more that like, it's just doing it all the time. It's like the mucociliary escalator is like, we're just going to assume stuff's going to get down here. And then we're going to go, we're going to push it back up to, the laryngeal area, and then it's going to come out into the mouth and get swallowed or spit out or whatever. So that's really cool. That's another protective mechanism. And then the further down you get, the more uh, like delicate and vulnerable the tissue is down in the lung tissue. So Because, like, there can't be stuff down there. You can't have mucus covering your alveoli because then you're not going to be able to exchange oxygen. Like, histopath pictures of lung tissue are crazy because there's, like, nothing there. It's, like, very, very thin amounts of tissue because you got to have air exchange. And what the more stuff that's in the way, the crappier the air exchange is going to be. So that's just... Or oxygen, I guess. Oxygen exchange is a better, more accurate way for me to say that. So, you can't have these defense mechanisms down there in order to have efficient oxygen exchange. This is like when I was talking about the x-ray thing. Like, lung tissue, healthy alveolar lung tissue on x-ray should look like nothing. It's like very little tissue involved. It's really just air. Um air in, like, tiny, tiny blood vessels because that is the most efficient way to get oxygen in there. The, uh, so what was it, so all of this stuff is to, like, protect um, what's going on down there there are oh god there's a specific kind of cell down deep in there and I want to say they're alveolar macrophages so there's a particular kind of white blood cell that lives down in the deeper lung tissue that's like on the lookout for stuff that made it past all those defense mechanisms in order to um, catch it and kill it um, and mount an immune response if needed and um, that, so that like when you you haven't got a lot of stuff going on down there, you need it to work while you need it to be protected so that, um, you know, you don't damage your lung tissue because lung tissue is important. Now, that was kind of a big, like anatomy tangent, uh, because like, Having said all that, like I said, all this, like, all this upper airway stuff is exposed to bugs and dirt and viruses and all kinds of crap flying around all the time. And so there's, like, a normal, what we call, like, normal flora or um, commensal organisms that live in the upper respiratory tract, and that is normal. So those organisms sometimes can cause disease if they are given the opportunity to do so so normally all of that stuff that I just talked about as defense mechanisms is working great and there's bacteria that live in the upper respiratory tract um, because they do and Uh, the the body keeps them under control, keeps the immune systems, like, I got this, no big deal, these small numbers of these particular organisms, whatever, um, not going to cause a problem, they're just going to live here, and that's, it is what it is. Until some kind of virus comes in and busts everything up, and, you know, causes a huge amount of cell death, and then there's, like, exposed underlying tissue, And then that bacteria is like, oh, ha -ha, are, I'm going to kick you while you're down. So your immune system is having a hard time because of the virus. And then the bacteria that lives there normally is like, oh, look, I can also take this opportunity to multiply while your immune system is busy doing that other thing. So this makes it like... uh, to me and to me most of the time like I don't get too excited about certain organisms if they're cultured or something like that because I expect them to be there anyway and that is so those those are like common respiratory commensals that like shouldn't normally cause disease this is like in cattle it's like the shipping fever complex so Mannheimia Pasteurella um, and Histophilus are three bacterial um, genuses that can cause uh, shipping fever, or like are like common culprits for shipping fever in cattle in particular, and certainly can cause disease in goats. But they're not like, like you said, it's not like that. Their presence indicates that that was the primary problem for the disease. Um, so i mean they're called shipping fever because like lots of times animals get stressed from shipping stress causes the immune system to be crappy and then that's a, an excuse for the bacteria that normally live in the respiratory tract to be like woohoo we're gonna cause a problem um yeah. So there's like I think it's I think it's histophilus that in particular can cause like a very acute and terrible bad pneumonia. Um, so that one maybe. But like I just I nor under normal circumstances, all things considered, when there is when one of those organisms is found on a culture or like a postmortem culture or something like that, I'm not too super alarmed by it um because I expect it to be there I think I kind of and that's and that kind of goes back to what I said about like I want to be treating the right thing um So sometimes with a respiratory thing, I will give it antibiotics because even if I am not highly suspicious of a bacterial thing being the primary problem, if there is going to be a secondary bacterial problem, I want to lessen that disease because nobody wants to be sicker. Um, Certainly not the thing that's getting sick. Um, Other let's see, I think last bacterial pathogen to talk about is Carinobacterium pseudotuberculosis which is the causative bacteria for KCS lymphadenitis which is CL. Um, Again, CL deserves its whole own Podcast episode or more than one episode um, because it's like one of the big one of the big guys for small ruminants. But um, to to say about CL in terms of respiratory disease is that goats in general seem to be better at making abscesses internally, whether it's inside the thorax or the abdomen, so inside the chest or inside the belly. Um, Then external abscesses, so like your submandibular lymph nodes, your inguinal lymph nodes, your, uh, femoral, what are those called? I can't think of what those ones are called right now. Um... The, the lymph nodes that you can feel, peripheral lymph nodes that you can feel on the outside of the body, sheep tend to make their CL abscesses there, so you're like, ooh, there it is, um, I can poke it with a needle, whereas goats can hide them on the inside a little bit more often, and it's definitely not uncommonly in the respiratory tract Um especially for goats and that like that's more concerning for goats because if they have an abscess in there and so there's a higher concentration of organisms in there then they cough and they spread the organisms around um that way and then other animals can pick them up um and also you just can't see them on the outside so that makes diagnosis more challenging um definitely can have uh Uh, I kind of forget what I was going to say here definitely can have internal lung abscesses there's a lot of lymph nodes so this the caseus lymphadenitis lymph um, it really likes lymph nodes and there's a whole bunch of lymph nodes um, in that uh, like heart base uh, area where the lungs separate or the the trachea starts to separate out into the main stem bronchi there's lots of lymph nodes there that's a great place for um CL to be like ooh lymph nodes I love lymph nodes I'm going to make abscesses in these lymph nodes great for the CL not great for the animals um lastly uh parasitic infectious causes which are fun because they're called like you can use doctor words to call them verminous bronchitis or verminous pneumonia and verminous is just, you know, vermin. It's fun to say, uh, lungworm basically. And everybody likes to get excited about lungworm and coughing goats. Um, I don't usually like see it too often with like a definitive diagnosis to be perfectly honest. Uh, there's a couple different genuses, geni, genuses, genus, um, that are, like, the ones that matter for goats, Dictyocollis and Malarius. Um, Dictyocollis can be, uh, is a direct life cycle, so that means it only needs the animal to complete its life cycle and can affect goats, sheep, llamas, and alpacas. Uh, Malarius um, needs a slug or a snail as an intermediate host. Uh, in general, the critters lay the eggs in the airways. The the things hatch out and they're irritating to the trachea and the airways, so they're coughed up and then swallowed and then they're pooped out on the ground, and the life cycle continues. Uh, what's different about diagnosing these particular parasites is that you need a different fecal to diagnose them because you're not looking for eggs in a fecal float. You are looking for the larva. Um, so the, the larva fall to the bottom of the solution and the eggs float to the top. So if you're looking for the larva, you can't be like floating things upwards. You gotta be getting them at the bottom. It's called a bearman fecal. Um, there's probably like fun ways that people have set these up online. Um, they like DIY them. Um, I just sent them to the lab. Uh, this can be another thing that is causing, uh, you know, those opportunistic secondary uh, bacterial invaders to get in there and have a have a little party of their own. Um, you know, there's this basically like worms thrashing around in there. Uh, the immune system. Um, It's pretty good at keeping these under control, though, like the immune system in general. And the biggest problem with them is usually, like, younger animals. So, yeah. Um, Last. Is this where I'm supposed to turn? This seems weird. I guess it is. Um, and the last, like, verminous thing is something, again, something that I do not see particularly often, um, nasal bots, so that's fun, um, and those are, um, ast- estrus I might be saying that wrong, um, nasal bots where the larvae are laid in the nasal passages, and, um, They're annoying. So they certainly, if I had larvae of a bot crawling around in my sinuses, my nasal passages, I'm sure that I would cough and sneeze and act like things were really bothering me because it's irritating there are some case reports i think of these larvae like migrating up towards the central nervous system and that can cause a big old problem Um, if they cause enough tissue damage then they can open things up again for secondary bacterial invasion um, and that can travel and cause like bad stuff it's not very far from the sinuses to the brain. Um, there's not, I mean, the brain, and then, and then also, like, there's the whole, like, uh, oh God, I can't remember what it's called. The part of the brain that's at the front that deals with smell. So, that's a, that's a delicate area if you get stuff going on in there, then you can, you got a pretty direct line to the brain. So, um, yeah. I think that is where I'm going to call it for this particular episode. And then in the next episode, we're going to get into, I'm going to talk about the other stuff um, cardiogenic, allergic, inflammatory, and then like anatomical functional cancer um, causes for respiratory stuff so that's I mean that's kind of a a mixed bag of things and I'll talk a little bit more about like diagnosis of this stuff in the next episode too uh hit me up with questions send me an email at go.care at gmail.com come say hi on the instagram at go underscore doc um and aside from that I think that's gonna wrap it up for the moment and I will talk to you guys next time